Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Rule the day the plant-based way with the new vegan mixed berry from Smoothie King. Powered by whole, non-GMO fruits, oat milk, and vegan protein, it's a dairy-free, plant-based smoothie you can feel great about. With 13 grams of protein and half your daily fiber, it's an easy way to get the essential nutrients your body craves. Skip the line and order online for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. If you like our show, you're going to love Sports for Life on Podcast One. Whether you're a parent looking to create confidence in your child or you want to get to the next level in your own life, let veteran broadcaster Anne Marie Anderson and Olympian Holly McPeak leverage their experience and high-profile guests to help you do it like a boss. Download new episodes of Sports for Life every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. The May 30th edition of the PFF Forecast, we've got... Great interview with uh, one of the two new people that is going to be a part of our team. Kevin Cole uh, is going to join us here in a little bit. We've got a rewatch recap of Indy Houston week four. That was the Frank Reich fourth down uh, decision in overtime. And then we're going to talk about a little season review for the Carolina Panthers. Let's rock. Uh, the interview with Kevin is going to come up here uh, in just a bit. Uh, we're going to start off, though, with the second installation of our game rewatch. I don't know. I don't have a good uh, name for this segment. PFF Reviews. Dear God. All right. We'll keep workshopping that one, I guess. Beta. I do enjoy it, though, and uh, I want to hear from you guys out there, all seven of you, if this is something you guys enjoy, and give us suggestions for games to go rewatch. I just think it's a good way to force myself to go back and reconsider what I was thinking at different times of the mm-hmm. season, and then also reconsider what I was thinking about specific teams as I watch these games. So throw them out there. They could be from last season. They could be from two seasons ago. If they're three seasons ago, if they're really good. But I think sticking with last season makes a lot of sense as we prepare for this upcoming year. So... Indy comes into this game one and two. The narrative at this point with the Colts was very much Andrew Luck isn't throwing the ball more than five yards downfield. And we were in the minority of we still believe in Andrew Luck. We think this is going to work out. We are going to continue to bet on Andrew Luck. After you watch this game, did you feel better or worse about that statement? This game was so weird because... On one end, like I don't think Luck played great, um, but at the same time, I remember watching it and thinking, okay, if this wasn't our pick of the week, mm-hmm. I would have. And I just watched it as like a neutral observer. Yep, I would have come out of it thinking, okay, this Colts team's gonna be fine. You know what I'm saying? So like, and that's and that's in, that's kind of the interesting thing, right? Because the. The Colts were not efficient on first down. They had a lot of drop passes on first down by the receivers. They had a lot of second long runs. Um, But then Luck bailed them out with a lot of third downs, right? And that's not something that, you know, Luck has to give back, but it's also something that's extremely random and probably one of the reasons the game yo-yoed so much from them being ahead early to falling behind in the middle of the game and coming back. Um, But, no, I you know, I think... Luck wasn't quite there in this game, but he made enough plays and he was gritty enough, I think, like ooh, to to I think put the Colts in a position in a to to win this game and but unfortunately I'm, it didn't work out. I'm hyped my I'm aroused a little bit here. By the way, if you're watching this on YouTube, so some dude a couple weeks ago was like, Hey, get the guy on the left some dude wipes. So I want to be super transparent here. We go swimming every Thursday. And post swim, the shine is real. But on top of that, the studio in here is 85 I know. degrees at a minimum. Mm-hmm. So please be kind. We're, and rewind. Yeah, we might switch to swim on Wednesday. I think we space it out. Middle of the week, it's a good recovery. Um, it allows for some good stories from the YMCA, by the way. And it'll reduce the shine so that you haters out there you know, can show a little, little more love. 
Here's the thing that I thought was really interesting going into this game. Deshaun Watson led the league in average depth of target entering this game. The Texans, however, as a team, were an absolute disaster. They were 0-3 mm-hmm. going into and this game. And we had, and the interesting thing is I'm reading the, the Spread Picks article we had, we faded them successfully the first three weeks. Exactly. Against New England minus 6, Tennessee plus 2 with Blaine Gabbert. They lost to Gabbert. Yep. And, and then, then they lost to the Giants, Giants plus six. They were minus six. They lost to the Giants straight up at home. They were a team that was reeling. However, okay, can you let me finish my point? Go ahead. So uh, Deshaun Watson had was just absolutely throwing the ball downfield at every opportunity. Over 12 and a half yards uh, downfield per target on average. Andrew Luck was 28th of 32 in the NFL with an average depth of target of 6.8. So on average, Deshaun Watson was throwing the ball twice as far downfield as Andrew Luck. And this game was interesting because to me, there were two takeaways I had from the quarterbacks. And the first was that Deshaun Watson, yes, the big throws are important, but he creates so much space with the gadget stuff a lot of those short throws create great yak mm-hmm. opportunities for QT, for um, Fuller, and for Hopkins. And I thought that that was, that was what they needed to do more of. Now, he's not, it wasn't accurate enough in this game to really make them pay, but it was a nice reversion for him. And then Luck started pushing the ball a little bit more downfield by necessity. And I wrote here um, in my notes at the start of the fourth quarter, I think it was their first uh, drive here in the fourth quarter. Luck ends up um, leading a touchdown drive on a pass to Naeem Hines, who I want to talk about a little bit here. But uh, what I wrote is Luck becomes a man. Like he actually started throwing the ball downfield. He stood in the pocket for more than two and a half seconds. Um, to me, this was a super encouraging game for Andrew Luck, despite the fact that it might have been in the darkest moment of my season, <laughs> given uh, my investment in the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, so this one, um, you know, we saw, you know, the the lock, thir- big conversions on the first drive. T.Y. Hilton, big plays. Um, T.Y. Hilton hurt most of the game as well, which I think adds to the luck mystique here, the fact that he was able to make something happen with guys like Zach Pascal. Uh, Eric Ebron had a pretty good uh, showing at times. He did drop a pass, I believe. Um, but, you know, this game could have turned out very differently. They score on the first drive. They're up 7 nothing. Watson makes a couple plays on the first drive, but then they're forced to punt. A lot of pressure on Watson. We know this is sort of a theme all season, but they got a lot of pressure on Watson. Um punt pin them down in inside the the five ten yard line and then luck actually wasn't really luck the center just hit his own ass with the with the snap uh and i believe it was Clowney gets a touchdown sort of like oh my gosh here it goes again type of thing um and, and you know watson was i i thought one of the things that was really impressive about watson was you know on the run he's able to make that offensive line, despite how bad they grade for us, despite how poor they are, even against an Indianapolis defense without a lot of talent, he was able to make a lot of brilliant plays on the run. Not you know keeping the football at times, but also hitting Hopkins, QT, uh, Fuller uh, on multiple plays. Um, you know with his arm. Yeah, well, it was interesting. The start of the game was so successful for Indy. Um, you know they they have a successful drive, score a touchdown, and then. Through no, you know, through just a bunch of random errors, end up down fourteen seven, and then eventually twenty one seven, going into the half, and it was almost like it was almost like the Colts forgot that those random things can happen, and that you need to press your advantage when you can. There were a lot of conservative play calls, and as the season moved on, what Frank Reich started doing a lot of was throwing on first down realizing that that is the best time to take advantage of Andrew Luck. I believe they threw on first down first or second most in the NFL this year. And I'm not sure, you know, if it part of that was this game, right? Mm-hmm. Realizing that they can't just yeah. kind of sit back and, and let things come to them. Um, I was surprised. I was expecting it, but I was surprised how good DeAndre Hopkins was. Like, how many times were you watching this and you're like, oh, my God, this offense is a disaster. And then it's third and eight, and DeAndre Hopkins is just, you know, running wide open over the middle of the field. Well, it sort of shows you how um, 
how tenuous these games are, you know, because like I look at the the you know so the the Colts turned it over inside their own ten again. Uh, Houston gets a touchdown on a throw to Hopkins over Pierre Desir, who actually had a pretty good game, I thought, you know, relatively speaking. Um, the Colts drive get a luck gets a big throw to Ryan Grant. This is sort of the yep. gritty part of it. They cut it to twenty one ten. Houston gets the ball to start the second half. Um, and it's sort of the same Houstonian offense you see. Throws to QT, throws to Hopkins, pressure, sack, Watson, right? right. And, and they get a, hold, a first down hold on a run play, a sack on a second down, and then you know illegal hands to the face on the Colts gives them the first down. Oh, my God. And then when you get that, like, you're like, oh, gosh. This, this literally turn- – and then you know, they basically score to put the game at 28-10 with about 640 left in the, the half. So they take over eight minutes of clock to really bury the Colts. And then, of course, Luck comes back over here. He hits uh, Naheem Hines on a wheel route. They get, and then the other thing, after that, they cut it to 28-17. Pierre Desir gets an interception of Watson. And then the, the Colts can't even get a field goal out of it no. despite starting in, in Houston territory. There's so many missed opportunities for Indianapolis. Uh, turnovers, all that kind of stuff makes me on one hand think, oh, this should have been a Colts win by a country mile. And then there were a bunch of plays that, that Houston didn't make that could have you know, really buried the, the Indianapolis Colts as well. So it was really kind of a compelling game, I thought. The, the th- one of the things that really stuck out to me was how both teams could not cover the slot to save their lives. I mean, it was an absolute... It was a total debacle on both sides. For both quarterbacks, targeting the slot was the most uh, beneficial in terms of expected points mm-hmm. added per play. And we saw it multiple times with Hopkins, in particular on that very last um, game-clinching pass by Watson after Indy uh, went for it on fourth down. We'll get to the fourth downs here in a second. But one of the things I wrote down was Darius Leonard can't cover. And... It came back in the playoffs. I, was, I remember listening to, to Chris Collinsworth talk a little bit about um, that matchup with Kansas City. I don't mm-hmm. know why I said Chris Collinsworth like people would think I'm talking about someone else. Anyways, his big thing was having watched Leonard play, he's great. His weakness is in coverage. If yeah. you get him ISOed up, he's toast. And they put Hopkins in the slot. Leonard is on him. I mean... You're, you're absolutely done at that point in time, and they were. He got five yards of separation after about two seconds and then scampered down. Yeah. And I think that skews the understanding of that decision on, on fourth and four, where it was a pretty darn close call, about 1% difference in, in win probability, but was on the right side for Frank Reich. Um, but I want to rewind a little bit further because there is a a drive, I believe it is the start of overtime. So Indy gets it to start overtime, um, and they're driving down. Notes that I have here. So they run on first down. My my uh, notes are why run? They then run on second and long. <laughs> Absolute disaster. I tracked a few things on this per drive. One of them was second and long runs. There was only one successful drive uh, that had a second and long run on it. Um. They then get a conversion, and then one of the other things that was prevalent in this game was the number of drops. The Colts just dropped passes left and right. Have a third down drop that results in a fourth and three at the 26 for the Colts. I want to ask you this. If you're going to go for it on fourth and four at your own 43, in overtime, don't you think you should go for it at fourth and three at the 26 with a touchdown giving you a victory? Well, especially given... I mean, so the hard part is, is you sort of get, this is like not being able to understand noise versus process. So you've been able to stop the, the Texans a few times, although one of them was a missed field goal at the end of the game. They barely could stop them with like 10 seconds left in the, in the fourth quarter. But you, you essentially only gave up what, 10 points in the second half. Mm -hmm. So you're like, okay, our defense is rolling. When in reality, your defense just got a couple lucky, like an interception is a lucky play generally in NFL. And, you know. And you had the ball for most of the second half, but like you're like, okay, if we can get ourselves, we're in field goal range, we can kick a field goal and pray that our defense can stop. And in reality, they got lucky; their defense only gave up a field goal on that next drive in overtime. So, 
Um, that's a good point. And I think, you know, it's again, this sort of thing where I think people don't under like Frank Wright clearly understood what his likelihood of winning was with the clock at about a minute left. He clearly didn't understand what his likelihood of winning was if Houston got the ball back down three, you know, relative to getting the ball back, you know, with the tie score. So that's kind of, again, like Frank Reich's really smart. I think the the Colts are are moving in the right direction, but those are some places where I think that they can maybe get a little sharper. And that's where having a men. So there's, there are two types of decisions. There's the decisions that you prepare for and the decisions that you make on the fly. And, a lot of the times when you make decisions on the fly, you kind of get lucky. You know, so we always talk about this with um, decision-making in football. It's like there's a lot of things you think are really smart or really dumb are really just decisions that are random. Like people are just flying by the seat of their pants making decisions. And this is one that shows me a lot. You know, Even a guy like Frank Reich, who's super smart, is kind of flying by the seat of his pants here. Right? Mm-hmm. They don't have a kind of hard set number of rules because in my opinion if your rule tells you to go for it on fourth and four at your own 43 with a minute left you should be going for it on fourth and three at the 26 when a touch you're that close yeah you know you you have to play to win the game there so i thought that was an interesting component um of that and then of course the funny thing is they kick the field goal and then on the next drive they get lucky because Hopkins separates in the end zone, it looks like he catches it and unHopkins like yeah. uh, as he's trying to get his a feet little bit down. of long pass, but probably one he hauls in more than fifty percent of the time. So. Right, so it should have been a touchdown, and if it is, then we're talking about that fourth down decision a little bit differently. Do you also think that so back to the Colts drive, to, to so the ending drive, right? Mm-hmm. So they get they get a. Do you also think it's sort of this like non stationarity of of deci- like the non independence of decisions because mm-hmm. they got the Mo Alley Cox got called for holding on the first down conversion on yep. a run by I believe it was Hines Luck then gets sacked so it's third and twenty one they dump it off to Mo Alley Cox on a screen and he tur- and he gets seventeen to turn it into a fourth and four right. do they think they maybe have momentum here relative to God, when they were that. when they were driving for the field goal on the previous drive, it was a drop by that. It was a drop. I can't remember what 16's name is, but it was a drop by the wide receiver, which is sort of like a, oh, you know, right. as opposed to, it's really interesting to think I about. I didn't think about that. And then when you said this, I remembered when I was watching it, I forgot that it I, was a third and 18. And I was like, it's like, wait, this is the, they have to get close here. Yeah. Like, um, and then it's a, it's a, I think it's like a little screen. It was. Um, it was like a, a tight end screen. Which yeah. t- they did another time. Um, actually, Houston did. I think it was the drive prior. Uh, they th- yeah, they, they're on second and long with like 13 yards to goal. And they throw a squad receiver screen to the short side of the field. And it's like basically a run. <laughs> I was so disheartened um, by that. But those decisions, little decisions, like you have that one screen that goes for 17 on you know, third and 18. It's like, wow, this play is is golden here you know i got to make sure i run it again but i had forgotten about that and i hope that didn't factor into the decision making but um i'm sure it did to to a certain extent um the the other kind of takeaway that i had here from this was i think deshaun watson is now undervalued i think he was greatly overvalued going into last season because of the touchdown numbers and in this game I was reminded, we've been talking about this ad nauseum, how impactful quarterback running is. And Mm -hmm. he certainly is as lethal um, with that as as anyone out there. Um, But the two takeaways I had with Watson were his running is a real weapon, and that O-line is an absolute disaster. He was under pressure just under 40% of his dropbacks in this game. And there were a couple of times where he took sacks that he just couldn't have avoided because that O-line is such a disaster. If you just give him a little more time, I don't think he's quite Dak Prescott in, in the sense that he like has bad pocket awareness and he'll take too many sacks. I think he'll end up taking a lot of sacks because he tries to extend plays a little bit. But if you just shore that up a little bit, my, my thinking is that he's going to be um, a guy Pretty that you can good. go far with. Well, we faded Houston a lot last year. Um, I think 
and and you know one of the things that was a saving grace at time for at times for us was how often he did he did actually take sacks he was yep. a a real throwback in that in that uh regard and it really did tank their offense relative to how good he is um here's a question because i do think i do think watson's undervalued and i think i know why the three quarterbacks taken in the first 12 picks of the 2017 draft mitchell trubisky takes bears to 12 and 4 yeah. at the at the doorstep of winning a game basically you could blame their playoff loss on a kicker quote unquote sure pat mahomes is the mvp of the league worth about you know four and a half wins above replacement or something like that and then uh watson here it's worth a full two and a half wins above replacement more than trubisky probably because of trubisky's supporting cast and that kind of thing um watson's bow out of the playoffs was far more uh meek oh right like that is an understatement yeah and so like i i think that's part of the reason i think people are like caping for trubisky right now because there's a lot of bears fans and and there's not as many houston texans fans in rel in relation i also think like you know trubisky is picked second as opposed to 12 and so people like sort of want that pick to work out more but if you gave me a million universes i'd take watson and almost all of them uh over trubisky so i agree that he's a little bit and, and i also think people think watson which is probably fair watson gets a lot more help from his wide receiver than almost anybody in the league sure but it, well, that doesn't negate uh how good he's been so far i mean pat mahomes has had some decent receivers uh, in terms away of, from me satan in, ter- in terms of playing football i think that's a good um good way of putting it I, there was a lot of outrage about frank reich and not playing for a tie and how important ties are in in potential tie breakers you know within the division i will probably anger a few hardcore analytics folks analytics and quotation marks there um, but I am fully on board with the importance of creating a culture. And at the end of the day, you have to, your team has to believe in you. And I think, you know, the numbers were, is basically a, a coin toss. You make the decision that will allow you to go back into the locker room, win, lose, or tie. Mm-hmm with the best chance of salvaging your season because regardless of whether you tie or you lose you're still behind the eight ball yeah well and especially at the time at the time people don't realize this but at the time houston was zero and three uh india was one and two jacksonville was beating the brakes off the jets yeah. that game so yeah. they were going to three and one you were in it if just you were, rocked the patriots tennessee right? was three and one as well so you, so the two teams that didn't even like contend for the division were ahead of you and were going to be ahead of you by a game, either a game and a half or two games, depending. So what difference does it make in that regard? And then again, yeah, you go back to your team and you say, look, like I believe that you can win and I believe that you are. I think there's no value in being seven, eight and one. I, I, I want to be I want this team to be 10 and 6 11 and 5 and win this division and ultimately that's what happened and I think that's important well you're gonna have to go back to your team and say hey guys we played for a tie because if we then win which I didn't think you could do in this game we then have a chance to make the playoffs mm-hmm. so yeah I, I under, can understand you know people saying ties are valuable but not here mm-hmm. because there's so much um, that you have to do as from a team building standpoint to get your team to win games and a big step of that is them believing in the culture that you've established so taking away from this game I think we were again more bullish on the Colts than most um, and that proved out uh, you know to be the case they obviously go on to make the playoffs they beat these Texans in the playoffs in rather convincing fashion and then get um, their uh, hmm. butts stomped on which the, apparently Chiefs. Uh, according to my fellow Chiefs fans, uh, disqualifies them from being a future Super Bowl contender. Yeah, you're you're all about the Colts going forward this year. I've heard a couple of other people jump on that bandwagon, but I think you were first. I think you might have been the first person. I think so. Um, I'm still a little scarred by Andrew Luck. Let's just say that I've... Uh, like scar tissue, like shoulder, or... I've invested heavily in Andrew Luck. Um, are you throwing NFL side? Are you put in carrying NFL size things at this so time well. of the offseason or yeah. no? All right, that's our uh, rewatch. Um, I would like to get some some thoughts from 
the fans on what to watch next. Although I have thought of a game that I think okay. in our exorcism this offseason okay. might... Uh, what is it? I think we should watch our Falcons take on the Saints at home in week three. That's a good one. I thought of some Falcons games as well. I think that's a good one. The Another o- overtime game. The other one that I thought of was a Patriots game and either the Patriots Jags game, which was uh, but not compelling, really not though. compelling or the uh, Patriots Dolphins game in the week, which week. was this was it the next week or the same week? No, no, it was week seven. Well, the week four game, the Dolphins were three and zero and got the bake breaks. Beat right, off right. Them but the one where they, uh, they resurgent. come back and score. At the yeah. End. So that's like week 15, week 14. All right, we'll we'll figure it out. Do you want to watch Tannehill though? That's no, a question. I don't. So unless someone has a really compelling argument, I'm cool with Falcons, Saints. Um, that was a great game. So if you have something better than that, throw it at us. If not, it's Falcons Saints. Was it week three? Yeah, week three. Yep. And uh, and that'll be our rewatch. We're going to kick it now to an interview with the great Kevin Cole, new PFFer. On the line right now, we have a very exciting announcement. We've got uh, PFF underscore Kevin in lieu of PFF underscore Lump of Coal, which I suggested. Kevin Cole, formerly of Rotor Grinders, and now I'm happy to say a full-time member You've of You've tried to apply the Lump of Coal to a few people. Well, when their name is Cole, you've got to. Yeah. Kevin, welcome. Yeah, it's good, good to be here. Yeah, the... the the handle has been updated, so now it's official. I don't know if it's official unless you have an underscore and you just become a last name. Your 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 given name is all that matters, and PFF is all all that matters now. Uh, the problem with having see my name being George is very easy, but Kevin Kevin is tough because there's a lot of Kevins out there. I am confident, however, that uh, you're going to separate yourself. You have done so much in the football analytics community. Uh, people that are listening to this podcast, no doubt, know your work very well. So we're going to start off with a few non-football related questions, as I like to do, because I'm big on judging people immediately based on their lifestyle choices. And so <laughs> we want to give our listeners that same opportunity. I want to start with this. Your favorite cocktail is what? Well, see, I, I think I've talked to you about this before. I'm not much of a drinker anymore, but I would say that... I like to keep it simple. So uh, I was also like a, a vodka soda drinker most of my time. I went through a brief phase, a big Lebowski-induced phase of drinking a lot of white Russians, which Ooh. is it's quite a cocktail to take for a while. So I like that. Uh, a little frothy there. But I'm basically just when I was when I was much of a, more of a drinker, it was just about getting the alcohol into my body. So <laughs> uh, vodka and soda worked better than anything else. You know, when I saw you on Twitter talk about your movies and Big Lebowski was in that list, I was like shocked and my opinion of you, which was already high, went pretty high up. So, Well, the reason I asked this question, so the White Russians are a fantastic drink that's underutilized, but the reason I wanted to ask this question first, because I want to follow up with this, what's um, the one unpopular opinion that is unpopular to most people but that you hold and believe to be completely true. Well, you know, it's interesting. I kind of, I kind of went back and forth a little ambivalent whether I wanted to go football or not. I figure football is pretty boring, so I'll, I'll, I'll toss aside uh, my opinion that that uh, Peyton Manning is the goat no matter what because that seems to be have have fallen away. So I'll toss that aside here. And this is actually an opinion that I've shared, I've heard uh, given before, but I I agree with this fully, and that is that. Like coffee quality, it just doesn't really matter at all. You just want to drink. Getting again, again, maybe this is maybe I'm just all about utility, just in general in life. It's just it's just getting the caffeine into your body you is what Eric. matters more than else. And the I don't know if people are, f- are familiar with these other like Blue Bottle, these other places where they're they're going high end with this coffee. Yep. I, I just don't really see it there. I just need oh. something. If you give me diner coffee, that's good because it's all about the caffeine. Interesting, uh, Eric. You agree with this take? I assume. I uh, yes. If if you draw it to its natural conclusion. That being said, so I agree with Kevin that the utility of coffee is huge. 
but I do. I can ten- sense the difference between good and bad coffee. Okay, but you'll drink anything. I you will drink, drink like anything. eight cups of coffee a day. Yeah, so I can't be choosy. That's for sure. I am an unfortunate coffee snob, which has its has its good uh, pros and cons, right? Because that means I refuse to drink coffee many times a day because I won't drink crappy coffee, and I'm to the point that I have a hard time even drinking coffee that's good because I like espresso that much more. So we're yeah, on that, uh, that would be it's not that I can't tell the difference. It's just I'm not going to like okay. turn away a cup of coffee. <laughs> I, I think I think I think that may be true of a lot of food. My food takes also quite Uh-oh. honestly. It's Whoa. like, yeah, I get it. Good food is good. I understand that. But, you know, uh, a, a good burger or something like that also uh, is, is, is perfectly will perfectly suffice for me. Well, you're going to lead me by next question. But I find this question to be interesting. Eric, what's your unpopular opinion that you hold true? I didn't even prep for this. Okay, well, I have one. You want to hear mine? Okay. Beer sucks. That is true. I, that's, that's becoming a CFS opinion now. I think uh, Mike Renner also said, well, Mike Renner said all alcohol doesn't, doesn't taste, taste good. good. Mike, so, Renner, so drinks, even a, Mike, even Mike Renner drinks White Claw like it's water. So his takes on alcohol of any kind are completely irrelevant we've we've gone out with mike a few times and mike will totally drink miller light until the night's over yes which is i i I like i would rather drink gasoline exactly i like beer but i i will not drink bad beer i won't drink it at all period uh okay let's go let's go to food yeah okay i mean look there are times where nice beer can come into play and that's if you live in germany which means next week we'll have a nice conversation about this with uh with timo or moo as most people know him. um this is a cincinnati uh based question if you if you okay. are unfamiliar we'll get to that in a second but the question is you have one meal uh that you can eat for the rest of your life what is it yeah you know this was a somewhat of a tough one but i feel like i can always eat i could probably always eat like some sort of i, I was gonna say some sort of pasta but if i had to get really specific then, yes. then maybe just maybe just 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 pivoting a little bit and just some sort of like pizza just regular old pizza if i had to eat that every single day for the rest of my life that's probably the best thing that i could do although i i mean it'd be miserable it's miserable no matter what but some sort choice. of italian food or, or pizza would be would probably be my choice what, if you can't change the toppings though so if you have to pick one topping could you do that or would you have to then go i mean to i guess else? so um you know uh, yeah that is a little bit that is a little bit tougher because i think like some sort of maybe maybe if you got some sort of veggie pizzas you could pretend like you're doing something there and then of it's course like you can just pick off if you don't if you don't want it yeah basically a salad uh see that's where i i would probably try to cheat like kevin just did there and say like <laughs> mongolian food but like you can't it can't just be one mongolian right, dish i could be able to like differentiate it has to be all the one time. dish for the rest of your life you know what you know what mine isn't skyline chili <laughs> i would uh consider giving up eating if that was the one meal presented to me kevin you've been to cincinnati but you've never had skyline chili am i correct no, I've never had Skyline Chili, so I can't, I can't go there. The good news is that uh, we save that as punishment for people that do a really terrible job, and I'm not, uh, not too worried about it. Um, a follow-up with this. You're going to be in New York City. Um, you've lived in New York City for a while. You've also lived in California, in San Diego, right? Um, I'm obviously partial to California, but love New York City as well. So I'm curious, what's your favorite part about uh, the Big Apple, and what is your least favorite part about living there? Well, I mean, it, it seems that there are a lot of great stuff. There's a lot of great stuff about New York. I think if you're rich, it's probably a lot better to take advantage of a lot of this stuff, but purely the density of the population, I mean, I, I kind of like that, and it's because there are so many people here from so many different places, uh, a lot of young people, a lot of interesting stuff going on. I mean, I met my wife here. I feel like you're really going to meet interesting people. And I know that my wife was a lot more biased 
against West Coast people, then mm. I have somewhat become biased against West Coast people. Uh-oh. But there is an aspect of people that are that are from D.C. and New York are a little bit more with it as far as kind of knowing what's going on in the world and things like that, as opposed to people on the West Coast. I mean, you can't really blame them. I guess if you're if you're in nice weather, you can just go out surfing and do whatever. You don't have to worry about it. But Ignorance there is like is a level of a level of like discourse, I feel like, and interesting conversations you can get in with people here, which maybe isn't the case everywhere else. George is going to act offended to this, but he has said this very same thing to me a, a number of times. He said it differently, but I like, mean, it, it's true, yeah. although I would make the argument that talking about like current events takes years off your life at this current time, so... The uh, nice weather coming along with a little bit of ignorance. And this is this is your bias being like no kids or anything like Kevin and I have like, you know, we we have to like legitimately worry about like if our kids are going to be able to go to college someday or something like that. At some point uh, in my 50s, I'll adopt children and I'm worried uh, about the 10 years they'll have to spend on this earth, too. (laughs) Um, My favorite part about New York City is the density of food more so than the people. And that is probably the number one thing that I miss from there. So uh, every time that I'm searching for a place to eat, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little jealous of you. That's for, for darn sure. Um, let's pivot into football. Um, you're coming to PFF. We've obviously had, um, you know, we, we've followed you on Twitter. We know you well. What is something, though, that um, you maybe had heard about PFF or thought about PFF that now that you've had a chance to be here for, I don't know, a few days and get to know us a little bit better, um, you maybe feel differently about? Well, you know, I was fairly familiar with all a bunch of different people that were at PFF, obviously following on Twitter, podcasts and whatnot. So, you know, I was a fan already. So as far as the content stuff is, is concerned, wasn't as much. I mean, I would say the biggest thing is just having listened to you guys on the podcast, uh, seeing your guys' Twitter presence, you know, I was pleasantly surprised to see that George is just not quite the uh, ornery uh, curmudgeon that he comes off to be sometimes. Wow, that's kind. I, you know, I have a blind spot, and my blind spot is I don't understand how I come across to people uh, on screen. So I appreciate that. I'm working on it, Kevin. The growth. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit, I say that tug in cheek, of course. I mean, I know that it's a it's a <laughs> ribbing that you like to give out there to all the different uh, to all the different fan bases. So, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, you guys have done, especially you know, you in particular, obviously directing things, have done a great job bringing us on and making everything great. So it, it's been fantastic. And then, of course, you you uh, got to find out that Eric actually his voice isn't booming in in real life. It's just uh, an auto tune that we put on. <laughs> that too. I, unfortunately, I did not get a real life viewing of the the cut off white snake T shirt, so I, I'm 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 happy about that. Yeah, we'll have to get you when you come for a in person visit. You'll have to try it on. Um, it is hung up in the office as a as a monument to I lost bet. Let's talk football a little bit more. You come from a little more of a fantasy background and exploiting inefficiency in that market and exploiting inefficiency in real life football can sometimes be different things. Um, what, what in your mind is the biggest inefficiency right now uh, in football that we could potentially change tomorrow if you were running a team? Yeah, it's tough to think of things that can be changed tomorrow. I, mean, I think there's lots of issues on the personnel side, and that's probably something that I've, I've looked at a lot. But that's probably going to take a little bit longer because you'd have to have some, some turnover and decision makers. I would say if you could somehow impart upon uh, coaches, play callers, if you could get into their heads the fact of equating a punt and in some cases even a field goal as being like a turnover because they're so risk averse when it comes to turnovers and they you know turnover obviously int rates have been going down over a long time so if you could get into their heads that essentially a punt is just a turnover with a somewhat slight quite often field position change if you could really dig that into the head i feel like the play calling could open up in so many different ways that you could exploit a lot of that inefficiency instead of viewing uh, a punt as a safe move and then a turnover as a risky move. I mean, I, I think that's still in my Twitter bio. I am a firm. I'm right there with you. I think the I would take it a step further and I would treat field goals essentially um, as a turnover, potentially with like a pat on the back or a slap on the butt. 
given to you afterwards. Well, isn't isn't the corollary or maybe the uh, ex- initial theorem just that field position is less important than people think? I mean, the only the only thing is basically at the extremes. Like if you get the ball inside your five yard line, uh, that's probably a good thing for the defense. But other than that, those like extra forty yards, you know, you'd almost in a in a in a league that's trending the way that it is, you'd almost rather the other team score in three fewer minutes anyway if they're going to get the ball so that's i think the big thing is like i I think they overestimate the the value of field position i think that's i think that's yeah i mean especially you see these matchups between two strong offenses it always shocks me uh that a team will be willing to give the ball up where you think okay i mean what are you really getting out of this when you're giving the ball up to uh, another great offense on the other side. It doesn't really make any sense. Well, that's the, you know, if you go back to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, Eagles Patriots, and everyone thinks that fourth and one decision in the fourth quarter was questionable in some way. And it's like, what are you punting the ball back 30 yards to Tom Brady for? Like, it, it, all that does is mean that Brady gets to spend more time sucking away the time you need to come back in this game in route to scoring. You have to play to win the game. That's, that's, I think, the part that most people don't see is the idea that they're actually trying to win the game, not just to save face in, uh, in a press yeah. conference. Eric, would you put running on second and long as your big inefficiency? What would you go with? Uh, yeah, I would. I, I kind of think about it just how you talked about it. It's like it's the asymmetry, hating losing more than you in than you want to win is probably the biggest one. And that second and long is a manifestation of that. So, you know, teams hate third and 10 way more than they're willing to try to get a first down. And so then that leads them to run on second and long and like settle for second and seven, which isn't like the worst loss in the world. And I think, you know, we're seeing it in basketball with teams shooting a lot more threes. We're seeing it, like some of the more analytically driven sort of the yeah. teams like the Eagles trading up for Carson Wentz, teams like Kansas City trading up for Mahomes. They're sort of you're they're not as worried necessarily about the losing as they are about the benefits of winning. And I think once we sort of get the risk aversion away from the decisions people make, I think that'll be pretty. Uh, we'll start to see more efficiency. I don't know if you feel the same way, Kevin, but that uh, what Eric just described, I feel like is true in many facets of male life (laughs) Uh, and I'll let you guys uh, out there figure out what I mean by that Um, Kevin you are going to be a a big part of the content that we have here at PFF you have a great podcast um, that uh, people can go listen to as they prepare to hear more of you it's what would Sashi do is that it that is it. Yeah, that's the little tongue-in-cheek name, of course. Yes. Uh, we, we like to thank Sashi as much as possible because without him, um, you know, it's, he, he died for our sins. And so we're thankful for all that he's done. Uh, and we're hoping to bring some of the great things that you've done on that podcast over here to PFF in addition to all of the great research and development that uh, is coming your way. I will let you go for now, but uh, welcome aboard, buddy. All right. uh, Glad to be here. Looking forward to it. And thanks. All right. Big thanks to Kevin Cole for jumping on with us. As I said, he'll be a big. What are you doing? You're just trying. You're trying to be a gif. You've you've got a little bit of an addiction to the funny gifts that you've created. Um, I see you. We're going to talk about the Panthers here to close it out. Um, And we'll get to we had a Twitter poll question go out. It was a kind of a fun idea that we had. It was. It was your idea. It was very good. I was going to give you credit. Don't worry. I said we. <laughs> I'm a we guy. Um, and, and we're going to get there. I am too. Mm-hmm. Unless it's talking about the YMCA, in which case I will take on all of the, the um, mean takes that I have. Uh, Panthers were 7-9 last year. They started out 6-2. and two. They had an over-under of 9 um, the video where we had the Colts over, we had the Panthers, Panthers under. under at minus 140 was not looking good at first. No, but that's how things kind of tend to work out sometimes. Um, do you want to start with the Twitter poll? Yeah, sure. So let me. So, so I have the main account, Pro Football Focus, 
at PFF says, which non-quarterback Panthers player do you think led the team in war? Some people ask what war means. Wins above replacement means how many wins were you worth over a practice squad player, essentially, in 2008. The correct response, the full results, and your answers will be read on the PFF forecast with PFF George and PFF Eric. So the, 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 op- the, whole tweet? the options were wide receiver DJ Moore, rookie, the first wide receiver taken in the draft, bunking the whole wide receivers can't be drafted high and produce, Christian McCaffrey running back, Stanford, legend, defensive interior player Kawan Short, and linebacker Luke Keekley. The answer, what do you think, George? The, so I actually, in, in all fairness, have not looked at the results. Uh, I'm going to guess that the public chose... It's between Keekley and McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to say they choose McCaffrey. You are right. Not, so Moore and Short both got 10% of the votes. Was Luke last? No. No. Second to last. McCaffrey not only got a McCaffrey not only won, he got a majority of the votes. Fifty two percent of the wow. votes went to McCaffrey. I'm shocked that you used the word majority correctly in this. Luke right. Luke Luke Keekley, who was the most valuable non quarterback on the Panthers last season, got twenty eight percent of the votes. That feels about right. Now the uh McCaffrey granted was the most Second most valuable running back in the NFL was a is and was a very good player, and but simply plays a position for which it's hard. Well, that's to, the tough thing is people when they say, "Okay, look, it's probably not a running back because running backs are not that valuable." But if they are going to be valuable, they've got to catch the ball. They and do McCaffrey what McCaffrey does. does that, and McCaffrey plays a crap ton, yes, which is another, that's another benefit to him. Real benefit, right? Doing something a lot is important. So I can understand where people are coming from that. What this really tells me about the Panthers is there's a reason they went seven and nine. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I was just going to make a joke that you know McCaffrey ran uh, future Rams starting running back C.J. Anderson out of town last year. That's how much he played. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and one of the themes that we're going to talk about here with the Panthers is they were bad in the wrong places. Mm-hmm. So defensively a season ago, they were 26th in EPA allowed per passing play. They allowed .15. Uh, expected points added for every passing play um, they weren't that good against the run but they still teams got further away from scoring when they ran on them they were 20th minus 0.06 so their defense was 24th in the NFL uh, in EPA allowed per play um, that was despite you know early season not playing the greatest offenses in the world um, you know early on uh, but they but they ended up you know being poor down the stretch really struggling there um, just a couple other things so their over-under was 9. We liked the under at minus 140. Um, we were vociferously def- defending our third-place projection of them, which did not look good, but they eventually got leapfrogged by our Falcons. They were about eight war wins. Mm-hmm. So when you added up all their war, added three for the, the practice squad play, you, you got about eight. So they did underachieve relative to their talent level, but I think it was mostly because their talent level uh, was in the wrong places. We picked one of their games last year on the on the PFF picks. We had them plus two and a half versus Baltimore at home, and they won that game. I believe that was Flacco's last start as a Raven. Um, I believe so. I'm actually not not sure, but Cam. You know, one of the things that's interesting. So if you look at their most valuable players, as we said, Cam was first. Then you had Luke McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Thomas Davis, now gone, um, and then yeah, obviously Quan Short. Uh, their least valuable. Taylor Heineke, Wes Horton, Ian Thomas, Mike Adams, David Mayo. Not, not guys that I think they're going to keep around. So that's probably something good for them um, you know, moving forward, although they did not really address secondary at all uh, in either the draft or free agency. Yes, and that is my chief concern with them. I think the offense is interesting. We'll talk about Cam Newton here in a second, but what Cam Newton is <laughs> is a, maybe the best athlete in the NFL, top five athlete, the guy is insane when it comes to just ability to do crazy athletic things on the football field, and that includes throw the ball a country mile, always off his back foot, <laughs> falling away, and is an absolute beast running the ball. And the design quarterback run is a positive EV play, mm-hmm. and when they do that, 
they, they are a very good offense. The problem is that he has been not very durable, that he, his style of running involves him running over people. And the problem yeah. is when it's him versus five other dudes, yep. he runs the first guy over and then guys are teeing off on him because he's, you know, Cam Newton and they think they need to do that and he's flamboyant. So there's a little bit of, you know, an edge there. So their offense, I think, is probably what it is, right? It's going to be a highly efficient rushing attack in large part you know because i mean they were second in epa per play yep. uh rushing the ball they actually got closer to scoring when running which is rare which is very rare and that's a testament to how valuable cam newton is so i think we know what they are offensively and defensively to me if you can't cover you've just got no shot and i don't see any evidence that they are going to be a, a better coverage team so uh, to me, it it makes sense that they're over and under. Their win total is now seven and a half, a full win and a half less than it was mm-hmm. the year before, and their team hasn't changed a whole ton. Um, to me, that's the market correcting itself, and that's right about where we have them uh, at seven point three wins. But gun to your head, seven and a half over or under? Oh, I I take the under, uh, especially at the reduced price. I mean, the under is is minus one hundred five. The over is about minus one twenty five. Um, there's a couple things that I think are not baked into our projections that I think I am going to lean on a little bit here. A Norv Turner a season ago started off hot as an offensive coordinator, slowed down a little bit, but did finish in the top ten in our coaching rankings. I don't see that happening again. Okay, not a believer. I, I like I like what they've done offensively in terms of they got Matt Paradis, they re-signed Daryl Williams. Both those guys are plus players. But I think that that's going to embolden them to do some of the things that caused them to struggle last year, which is Cam getting hurt and being ineffective as a passer. I like I like more and what he provides as a yards after the catch guy, as a short rece- You know, I like that they signed Rashad Ross from the AF. He's one of the best players in that league. He can add some value there. They got Chris Hogan. I do think they're going to try to put players around Newton, but they did not address the secondary at all. Uh, you know, they drafted an edge in the first round, an edge uh, with their third pick. They drafted Jordan Scarlett in the fourth round. It's, some of these things don't make a ton of sense to me. Um, so there's a couple of reasons there. And then lastly, they have the third toughest strength of schedule, according to PFF ELO, behind only Atlanta and Houston. So when I look at that, and, and fourth toughest in opposing offenses, you're going to have to go through an NFC South that includes the Saints twice, the Falcons twice. Our and, Falcons. And our Buccaneers twice. Our Falcons. And so if I'm looking at this, if you already think, if you agree with us on Tampa Bay, a correlated bet with that would be Carolina's under. Um, because I don't know, you know, Carolina's really the, the team for which Tampa Bay is going to exploit if they're going to leapfrog. You know, that's that's the first team to leapfrog in the NFC South for Tampa Bay. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, and, and there has been... Um, over the Memorial Day weekend, a lot of tears were shed and created um, around quarterbacks because people got real excited about sharing with the world their view of the NFL quarterback system. Oh, yeah. We all did. And uh, a friend us. of the podcast, Benjamin Button Baldwin, had Cam, I believe, was he in tier one? He was up there. I'm forgetting this exactly, but I think he had him in tier one or tier two. Um, had Dak pretty high, too. And that's because of the value of quarterback rushing. I'm far more willing to put Cam in that group. I think his his distribution is a little wider, right? Like mm-hmm. than uh, than Dak Prescott's is. So if he's healthy, th- there is that. There are those edge cases that I think are probably a little more likely for a team like the Panthers than they might be for a team led by um, led by someone like Dak Prescott. Uh, but I, Cam Newton is still a guy who is bottom of the league in terms of accuracy, mm-hmm. right? In terms of throwing the ball to open receivers. Yep. Um, so you you sort of know what you're getting from from a passing well, standpoint. And it, they had an efficient offense last year. One of their offense was in the top ten in terms of EPA per play, top fifty, top half of the league in EPA EPA per pass play. Yep. Newton's grades were all pretty, you know, in the seventies, high sixties until sort of his decline late in the season. Yeah, he was fifteenth from a clean pocket. But you look at the catchable inaccuracies, thirty second. Yep. You look at 
uh, throwing with a you know basically to open receivers thirtieth step of separation thirty first the 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 sur- those two outside ones the catchable and accurate and the step of step accuracy those are very random things right so if an offense pops up by virtue of these things then and the guy's not fundamentally accurate on them you're going to see reductions in in certain years a pass that's behind DJ Moore on a crosser that's caught in year n in year n plus 1 might be dropped right and and so like I'm not saying they're going to bottom out offensively what I'm saying is like we might have seen the best that that offense has to offer last season and and if we see even a small reduction in their efficiency as we did in the second half of the season and it eventually became a big reduction, the weaknesses of that defense will be magnified substantially as we've seen uh, you know, other places, for example, Minnesota and Jacksonville. So um, to me, I think like it's a really big year for him. And, and I'm, I'm actually pre- I think one of the best draft picks was Will Greer. As a result, I, I think that was a very good hedge of the bet. I was going to bring him up next because I think they you should expect Cam Newton to miss a couple of games. If you're going to try and get as much out of Cam Newton as you can, mm-hmm. I think you should just be prepared for him to not play a couple of games. And if you have a backup that's good, like I, I think that's not uh, a bad decision from a team standpoint. Now, I want to bring up a couple of things that have been detractions to Will Greer so makes a lot of big time throws a lot of those throws are over the shoulder throws that he threw at a much higher rate in college than he probably will in the NFL at least a lot higher than the NFL average rate by I think over 10 percent so there's that but you've also got a guy who has done it from a clean pocket right he had Mm -hmm. great numbers from a clean pocket Um, he was very accurate he was really right below Kyler Murray, um, not right below, but the one guy below Kyler Murray, uh, number two overall, I think you could make a, a decent argument for it. if you take out age. Obviously, the age thing is, is a factor there, um, but if you're just looking for a guy that's going to be a backup and be a good backup, I agree with you. I think he was a good choice. Do you know who he reminds me of as a draft pick? Sort of going back a few years, he reminds me of Kirk Cousins. Oh, so you go your 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 first quarterback is is a scrambler, a, a player that is injury prone, yeah. and your later round pick is sort of a more I wouldn't say conservative, but sort of like a a mid tier prospect who has some. We could all see p- people that Kirk Cousins had the potential to be who he is now, hmm. you know, but it could also flame out. Are you but just if, throwing shade at Kirk Cousins, if you take. Yeah, I mean Kirk's a good quarterback. He's just he's not an elite guy. And I think that like some people could see that in Will Greer. Um and you know, there was always the with the way that RG three played. RG three was a lot more slight, he ran a lot more uh, as a scrambler and stuff. His injury, you know, history or his his injury potential could have been even higher back then. Um but I I like the Will Greer pick as sort of a Kirk Cousins type hedge. I like that. Um over uh, what what's the over under on number of games that Will Greer starts this season? This season, one and a half, and I'm going to take the over. I would take the over. I'm going to take the over as well. Although I tempt to take the under because I think there there's I I think he plays over 15 snaps in two games easy. Um. But one and a half, I think, is the right number here. Um, here's a here's a here's the comparison I make. Last season, Lamar Jackson, right? the The story surrounding him was okay, but they have Flacco, and does he play? And I, we both said, John Harbaugh is a long tenured coach, kind of got stale there. What do you do to sort of revitalize the situation? Oh, so and you buy think- yourself a little bit more time. You think non-injury related? He starts. I, I'm not. Maybe, but Flacco was injury related. It was just sort of an excuse. Ron Rivera's Flacco long, was terrible. Yeah, but Newton has had some pretty bad seasons since his MVP year, and like, if you're Ron Rivera, but I'm just saying, like, I don't know if this is a, a classic analogy, but essentially, like, if you're Ron Rivera, you've been there forever, mm-hmm. right? Newton's been your quarterback the whole time, mm-hmm. and if it's e- like, and you struggle this year. Let's say you start out four and six, right? Okay. And you're like, 
it's either me or Cam, right? And it could be both, but it's only not me if I if I can get Will Greer to four and two down the stretch, wow. and and all of a sudden I'm saying, okay, we got new hope. It's a new era in Carolina over here. Like, for the for the two people that have continued listening all the way through the podcast, this is a great place for us to end because you come off as the a hole in this situation. Uh, Team Cam over here. So shower me with love. Uh, my Twitter handle is pff underscore george. Uh, let me know how you feel about my faith in your quarterback. I don't have any stories from the Y this week. I want to end on a nice positive note. So unless you have anything more degrading and mean to say about people, no, nope. I don't. I didn't say oh, anything good. mean about Cam. I can't believe you've just become such a rigid and obtuse personality. Uh, that's it for us. We'll be back next week. We've got uh, Timo. Uh, also known as Moo, mm-hmm. coming on the pod next week. Um, and uh, we'll probably be rewatching Saints Falcons from early in the season. You'll want to check that out too. It was a great game. Peace out. Mm-hmm.